Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Come on. Do you hear that in the background? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Adorable. Vera, yeah. quiet. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the Bulls being in the play-in to the Knicks being in the playoffs. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? It's going okay. You know, I'm, I, earlier in the year, I would not have thought that the Bulls would even get into the play-in. So at least there will be at least one game that I get to watch that has meaningful implications for the Bulls, hopefully two, and then hopefully at least four to seven more after that. So we'll see. It would be very, very nice. We're recording this on April 5th, so not a lot of the playoff stuff has been locked in. My Knicks are locked into the five seed, and they are playing the Cavaliers in the four seed, which I think will be a fun series. The Bulls, I don't know if you're for sure going to be in 10. It's not sure exactly who your opponent's going to be. I think there's still you know, a couple couple of games yeah. that could go here and there. But at the very least, we'll be watching the Bulls, hoping that they can pull off the uh, play-in upsets and get through those winner-go-home games and make their way into the true playoffs. Yeah, thus far, a 10 seed in the play-in has not advanced to the playoffs. So I'm really hoping the Bulls can avoid that because if you're the 10 seed, what that means is you have to win a game on the road. And then after winning that game on the road, you have to go face the loser of the other game, also on the right. road. It's a tall task, <laughs> but maybe if you and I have time, we can throw a little thing up on the Patreon of just like a 10 minute rundown once the playoffs are locked in and the play-ins have been determined of just like, who do we think is going to win? So we can do a, a quick rundown yeah. before discussing it more fully in the next episode of Horse. I think that'd be great. I think we do a little more whimsy and lossesy extra audio to put exactly, up on the Patreon yeah. because yeah, it's going to be an interesting playoff situation it's been a very interesting year um just with teams being really close and like the western conference not being set and there's still a lot of things that can happen yeah. even with you know three days left right. in the nba season there's still a lot that can change and it's just been a very very strange year the east is looking way stronger than the west which hasn't been the case in years past so there's a lot of interesting things going on we can talk about those interesting things but to prepare to discuss those interesting things. We have to go into the Teal Memorial locker room. And I say we have to go. We get to go. It's a pleasure to be in the Teal Memorial locker room. It's a privilege, I would say. Yes. You know what else is a privilege? Having patrons who contribute money because they love the show so much. We really appreciate that, especially new patrons, especially, especially new producer level patrons. Yes. So shout out to our newest producer level patron, Bunny's Not a Rabbit, which yes, does have a question mark. And do you want to read the description that was sent in by our newest producer level patron? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we always want to clarify and uh, and find out if the patron name is a reference to some sort of thing. Because sometimes it's like a Harry Potter reference or Percy Jackson reference that I'm not privy to. And then you have to clear it up. But in this case, uh, it is Bunny's Not a Rabbit with the question mark. And the description is sort of like being surprised that Bunny isn't a rabbit. Fair enough. They go on to say, also feel free to put any little twists on it that you feel like so we can have some fun when we're reading the patron names. And uh, yeah, just not a, not a reference to anything in particular, just something they thought up. So, hey, we're all about it. You can be named whatever you want. That's part of the fun of being a patron is that, you know, within reason, as long as it's not say. something that is <laughs> offensive, we will say pretty much anything that you can come up with. That won't get us in trouble with people or the law or, you know. <laughs> yeah, if Kyrie Irving joins our Patreon, there's going to be a limit to what we're willing to say uh, uh, on the air. But, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Oy, Maybe Kyrie can watch 21 Jump Street because that apparently cured Kanye West of his anti-Semitism. 
I don't know if you uh, saw that Instagram post. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. I don't even... Wouldn't it be funnier, though, if it was 22 Jump Street? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like the sequel was it really did it for me in terms of my anti-Semitism. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, shout out to Bunny's Not a Rabbit with a question mark. And, of course, shout out to our existing producer-level patrons. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Stone Country Sing, Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Reed, Weird Questions, Caitlin Clark for three. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot by Clark! Oh, but it was blocked <laughs> at the last minute by Angel Reese, who defeated her in the championship game. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh. Hi, Trish. Ginger Spurs boy, Nicole Arsenault. Something mean about the Knicks. Stubby Boardman gets paid. Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles, plays ball. And now, Bunny's not a rabbit? Hmm. Indeed. And you know what else is really nice to have besides having patrons? I would say sponsors. It is sponsors, and our sponsor for this episode is Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a delivery kit service that doesn't stink. They do a very cool thing, which is they help you become fancy. All you need to do is supply a bottle of liquor, and they will give you ingredients and instructions of how to make three different drinks, four servings of each, with that liquor. And I've done boxes from them in the past, and it's very nice because you can learn to make different types of drinks. Some are sweet, some are sour, some are a little more savory. And it's a fun learning experience. You get to keep the recipe cards afterwards. You can impress your friends, your relatives, your parents, anyone, yourself, if you just want a challenge of becoming a better bartender. And if you sign up at shakerandspoon.com slash horse, you will get $20 off your first box. That's about half off. The boxes are about 40 bucks or 50 bucks. So it's a pretty good discount. And that discount can be yours at shakerandspoon.com slash horse. Watch the playoffs and have a drink. Why not? So check that out. I have to tell you, uh, for having Shaker and Spoon as a sponsor, we received Shaker and Spoon boxes and I hadn't used it for a while. We recently went over to a friend's apartment and I brought the whole box. I was the <gasps> cocktail guy for the night. And I have to tell you, I was kind of a hit. People were like, this has never been done before. I've never had somebody <laughs> come prepared to make us cocktails as the guest. This is unbelievable. So if you want to impress yourself and or your friends, if you are company somewhere, I think it's also a great move. Mm -hmm. Now, things that are also a great move is to check out Adam Amawala on the road or download Adam Amawala's album or things like that. What's going on in your life, your comedy world? Yes, I do have some fun things coming up. Uh, I'm going to be in Las Vegas the weekend after next. The only show that I'm doing there that is open to the public, I will be hosting at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club on Friday, April 14th at 8 o'clock. I'm told it's one of the best comedy clubs in Vegas. Um, Brad Garrett is the guy who played Robert, the the tall uh, brother with the low voice on Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, it's his cool. comedy club. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's there a lot. I don't know if I'll get to meet him, but either way, um, I, I'm, I've heard it's a great room. Uh, I will be headlining the Albany Funny Bone just for one night. This is on Thursday, April 20th. So if you're a big 420 fan, whatever that means to you, um, feel free to come out to that show. I've got a bunch you of... You just love multiples of five. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I've um, got a bunch of stuff in New York coming up, and then I will be doing five shows that I'll be headlining in Boulder, Colorado from Thursday, May 11th through Saturday. Saturday, May 13th. And that's I think that's enough for now. So other than that, you can check out my albums, which have already been out for some time and also my merch, which people have uh, seemed to enjoy. You can find all of that on my social media or if you go to adammamawala.com slash stand up uh, or go to my link tree, which is linked in uh, all of my socials. Uh, how about you? You're you're wrapping up tour yes. up, but you still have some fun stuff coming up. What do you have on the horizon? It's true. I'm now complete with tour up. I'm recording this after the final show. Shout out to everyone who came to the shows. I very much appreciate it. But there will be more shows in the future. I just announced some shows in the US and Canada, which I will be calling Torth America Part One. So if you live nice, in nice, Seattle, nice, Vancouver, Cleveland, Detroit, or Toronto, I will be doing shows and tickets for them are live. You can get those at shubes, so S C H U B dot E S slash tour. And I'm very excited. First time doing straight up just live shows of my own podcasts in Canada. It's been a long time coming. And I've never been to Toronto ever in my life before. So that'll be a fun uh, just experience for me. That sounds very fun. Just be careful with that second T. I've, I've heard the Toronto people, they, they say it more like Toronto. Oh. That second T, it's a real soft T. Okay. So you don't okay. want to get in trouble up there. You know, growing up in New Jersey and the capital of New Jersey being Trenton, 
which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-O-N, but it's pronounced T-R-E-N apostrophe (laughs) I-N. Yeah. Anyone you say, anyone who says Trenton, you cannot trust them. You cannot trust them at all. And God forbid calling Newark, Delaware, Newark, Delaware. People get very upset. It's Newark, New Jersey, Newark, Delaware. It's a very important distinction, apparently. I mean, that's smart because I know some people who get on the train from New York thinking they're going to Newark and they're going to Newark. And that's bad. Yeah, I would think it would be a dead giveaway when you didn't get there in 20 (laughs) minutes. You'd be like, this is farther than I thought it would be. I feel like no city should be allowed. If they're major enough, there just has to be one city. Like Portland, Maine and Portland, Oregon should fight and there should only be one that can win. And then the other one has to be called like the land of ports or something. Like you got to change the spelling or do something like they should all fight. Like even when I announced the tour dates in Vancouver, someone was like, you mean Vancouver, Canada or Vancouver, Washington? Obviously Vancouver, Canada. (laughs) The population is infinitely more. (laughs) Well, in Maine specifically, speaking of Portland, there are a bunch of cities that are named after countries. Uh, So it's like Poland, Maine, which is where like Poland Springs comes from. Uh, Mexico, Maine, like all these things that just sound broken. Yeah. (laughs) DC does a little bit of that where all the streets are named after different states. And it's, again, very confusing. But, you know. Yes. What are you going to do? But speaking of Torup, we did get an interesting note from listener Anna, who the subject line says, why everyone hates Sweden. And it just says, don't know what the horse listener base looks like, but just in case you didn't get info from anywhere else, we all hate Sweden because we all used to be ruled by them at one point or another in history. Now we're all friends, but if someone needs to be dissed on, it's always Sweden. So I'm not actually sure where Anna is messaging uh-huh. us from i guess somewhere that's not mm-hmm. sweden but i'm assuming somewhere else in the in the nordic yeah. region but uh there you go i didn't know sweden was such a bully right when i put together the tour i did it just based on downloads and it just worked out that i went to denmark and i went to norway and i went to finland and stockholm sweden just missed the cut and all of those other countries were much delighted i think they were happier that i wasn't going to sweden that i was going yes. to their yeah. countries and yeah, yes yeah, as yeah. i went to more yeah. and more museums i learned oh this is why no one likes sweden because <laughs> Sweden on them at different points in time. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I think more of a present thing is people get mad that most often people, when they're doing international tours, if they're picking one of those places, they pick Stockholm and they figure good enough and then they won't go to some of the others. So right, right, that right. was at least Finland's yeah. beef with Sweden. So I'm glad that I could turn the tables. Cool. Uh, well, should we go ahead and get into our NBQ&A? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we got an email from listener Natalia. The email says, hey, basketball, parentheses, that is what the Gmail autocomplete suggested. And I couldn't resist. Love it. Mm -hmm. That's because our Gmail official name is Basketball Jones. (laughs) Is what our first name and last name is. That's hilarious. Amazing. (laughs) Longtime listener, longtime emailer with a not so quite NBQ. It's so tangential. We'll be the judge Mm -hmm. of that, Natalia. (laughs) I'm watching my beloved Marcus Smart and the rest of my cherished Boston Celtics. And I noticed the 76ers uniforms and got confused. Does Crypto.com really sponsor uniforms for one team and an arena for another? How do these jersey sponsorships work? Because that's wild. I also hate jersey sponsorships. The concept was created for football, meaning the real football, because they don't have any timeouts, therefore no commercials. We have commercials and ads. America truly is a capitalist nightmare. Thanks. I mean, no mm-hmm. notes on that entire critique. I can live with the the corporate sponsorships because at least they're tiny enough. But it is interesting that the Crypto.com arena is where the Lakers and Clippers play. But then Crypto.com also separately sponsors the 76ers. Do you have any thoughts on this whole dealio? I know that there are instances where one sponsor will sponsor multiple things. So there was a point in time where the Dallas Mavericks arena, and I think it still is, it's the American Airlines Center. And then the Miami mm-hmm. one used to be called, I think, the American Airlines Arena. So American Airlines sponsored mm-hmm. two different venues for basketball, but one was the center and one was right. the arena. So there's an instance of that happening. The Jersey sponsors, I I didn't realize this until this MBQ&A, and it totally makes sense. But yeah, the, the Jersey sponsors have been switching up more. I think people are signing shorter term deals with it and they keep switching in and out. And I don't know that there's like that much restriction on the Jersey sponsors because I know for some of them, they are even sponsored by like the foundations of people who own the team. I, I don't know if it's still the case, but I think the Jazz Jersey sponsor for a while was called like Five for the Fight, which I think was a charitable organization run by the people who 
own the Utah Jazz. So there have been some cases where, you know, it's not even just like straight up corporate sponsor. I think there's a bit more leeway. So I don't think it's necessarily a conflict of interest that an arena sponsor would also be a jersey sponsor. So I think it's just, you know, something that happened and Crypto.com had a lot of money to spend. And then uh, I would imagine they are not sponsoring anything next season. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, uh, I actually think that the Utah Jazz should play in the Shaker and Spoon arena because it's like, hey, all of all of the mixers, none of the booze. Hey, hey, you know, and then maybe we get a little bit of a cut for the suggestion. TM, 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 TM. Give us the credit to the horse boys. Well, the funniest one is that the Denver Nuggets play in the ball arena, which mm-hmm. when I first saw it, I saw the logo and I was like, oh, like ball jars, which mm-hmm. it is. Yes. But also the ball family makes missiles. Oh, 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 no. Did oh, you know that? Oh, no. How do you make mason jars and missiles? My guess is that like (laughs) they made missiles forever and then they're like one artsy kid was like, I want to make jars. And they were like, just go do your thing. We don't give a shit. And then the jars became really popular. But really, they just make missiles. No way. Ball (laughs) missiles? What? Oh, that just brought up a bunch of Nerf toys. That's funny. Ball jars missiles? (laughs) Oh, wow. There's a history and timeline on... Ball.com slash our company. They've been around since yeah. 1880. I want to know what came first. The the chicken or the egg? The missile? Or the... They're known for packaging and aerospace. What the fuck? I know. Isn't that wild? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. no. Maybe it's not missiles. I don't want to get in trouble here, but I, that's my standing of it. It seems like jars came first. Oh, okay. No, then it's missiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got into aerospace in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funnier, though, to imagine that, like, they were already doing missiles and then the, like, artsy kid was like, I want to sing. And they were like, just make some jars. Yeah. It's just really funny scrolling through this history because they just have all these significant things. And it's alternating between major innovations in, like, the canning industry and then innovations in sending stuff into space. (laughs) Hey, we're allowed to have different interests. You know, that's okay. We can be multifaceted. Oh, my goodness. All right. Let's try to get back on track. Let's uh, talk about some basketball in full court press. Get it like the news. I do. And news there be. There be news. There be news. We already talked a little bit about the playoffs, so I think we can talk a little bit more about the playoffs and then we can get into something that you sent my way that I was unfamiliar with. And I think that'll be very fun to cover. But I think the most interesting thing to talk about in the playoffs right now is the Dallas Mavericks, who are just absolutely in a pitiful situation where they are five games under 500 as we speak. They are a game behind the Thunder to even get into the play in. And it's just an embarrassing situation for a team that was in significant playoff contention last season. Like, they were in the Western Conference Finals, right? Yeah. Them versus the Warriors um, in the Western Conference Finals. They, Yeah, it's who would have thought that adding Kyrie Irving was not the best move? You know who would have thought? Us. You listen to that episode, mm-hmm. both of us were so out on that trade. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it is so bad that... The Knicks, my beloved New York Knicks, now have to worry about not getting the Dallas Mavericks pick this year, which was always just this foregone conclusion. In the Porzingis trade, we traded a couple of picks, and this is the last thing that we have from the trade. And there's a thing in the NBA called pick protections. So you'll trade a pick and you can put some sort of protection, usually something like top 15 or top 10 or top 5. And basically what it says is, okay, you know, we'll trade you our pick unless it's really good. And then we will give you our pick next year or after a certain amount of time, if it keeps not conveying. So if you keep hitting these circumstances where you don't have to give the pick away, then it will turn into something like two second round picks or one second round pick or something like that. Something that's less enjoyable. So this pick that the Knicks have is top 10 protected. And the Mavericks are in a situation where they might be bottom 10 in the league, which no one would have guessed at all. I'm interested to see what we put in our drama draft for the Mavericks. I really want to re-listen to our drama draft episode because I think we predicted some of the things that happened, or at least we were like, it could be bad if this happened. And I think that uh, the Mavs are certainly one of those cases. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think we went into that drama draft thinking that Kyrie and KD would be traded, but I'm sure that the Nets were high on that list just in terms of the, the drama that we expected. But yeah, as of this recording which is Wednesday, April 5th. There are three games left for most teams. The Mavericks are half a game out of the final play-in spot. 
But uh, yeah, just a very disappointing year. The Jazz, who everybody thought were going to be trash this year, still have a shot to make the playoffs. They're only a game and a half out of a play-in spot. So we will see how it goes. Right now, the Clippers and Lakers are tied for the final playoff spot. They're only half a game behind the Warriors, who have one of the weirdest years ever. The Golden State Warriors are 33-8 and at home and 9-30 and on the road. It's absolutely bonkers. Also, do you know what the Pistons record is right now? I'm going to say not very good. I would guess, isn't it? They can't have They've more than 79 games. 79? I would guess that they are 17 and 79 minus 17, which would be 62? Great guess. They are 16 and 63. Ah, God. <laughs> Yep, yeah, yeah. Pretty bad, pretty bad. And they were supposed to be better this year. I mean, they had the Cade Cunningham injury, so that's very unfortunate. But yeah. wow, I did not realize they are worse than the Houston Rockets. That's impressive. <laughs> right. But as of this recording, and this can only change so much because there are only a few games left, but from the number six seed to the number, I guess that would be 12 seed. So that's seven teams are separated by five games in the standings. So a lot could happen in the next few days. We'll see how it goes. Um, the East is a little more determined. The The one thing to look out for is whether or not the Miami Heat can catch the Brooklyn Nets and send the Nets down into the, uh, the play-in. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, as of right now, the Milwaukee Bucks look to be a lock for the number one seed in the East. The Denver Nuggets look to be uh, a lock for the number one seed in the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of other teams that are competitive. I would love to see the Kings uh, do well in the playoffs. We'll talk yes. about this more either yeah. on the next episode or on our Patreon. But pretty cool to see the Kings approaching 50 wins, which is, mm -hmm. you know, that would be quite an accomplishment. And, right. uh, you know, light the beam. Yes, light the beam indeed. No, I think the playoffs are going to be very fun this year. And I really enjoy because we're invested in drama. I think the way that the play-in tournament has reshaped the league, it has fixed the situation where the end of the season could be very boring, where teams would tank and intentionally try to lose so that their pick right. would be better. Now that there are 10 teams that are in like the mix for the playoffs, it gets more dramatic. And then there's so much drama because there's all the different stopping points. So if you are in the top four, you get home court advantage in the first round, meaning there's more home games at your arena than there are at your opponent's arena. That's a huge advantage. So trying to get to four and above is a huge race. Then only two spots down, it's a big fight, like Adam was talking about, to get to be number six. Because if you are six and above, you are safe and you don't have to deal with the play-in tournament where we've had teams in the past be in that seven and eight, but then they lose in the play-in tournament and then they're not in the playoffs. Under normal circumstances in years past, they would have been safe. They're not anymore. So fighting to be six and above is huge. Then you want to try to fight to be seven or eight if you are in those bottom four play in spots because then it increases your odds of getting in because you have two shots of making it in because basically I think what happens is seven plays eight and then nine plays 10, right? And then yep. whoever wins between seven and eight is safe. And then whoever loses that game plays the winner of nine versus 10. So if you're in seven or eight, you've got two shots to make it in the playoffs. You just have to win one home game in your set. And then you have trying to, you know, fight to get to be in the top 10. Right. So it's just like every step down, four, six, eight, 10, there's battles for each. And it just makes things so interesting. And we've had teams fight that. We've had some teams maybe like try to lose so that they can play the Kings because the mm -hmm. people aren't actually afraid of the Kings, even though they were really good in the regular season. It's just made this end of the season so dramatic and there's so much at stake. And that's why you have people like LeBron playing despite being injured, despite two doctors recommending him to get surgery, but then a third doctor who LeBron himself called the LeBron James of feet, which is not necessarily a thing I want to think about too much. He said LeBron could play. <laughs> it's just, you get weird stuff happening now because of the play, and it's so much fun. I'm so happy about it. But I guess the final question about seeding remains, Mike, 
Do you know why six was afraid of seven? Uh, because seven was looking like it was going to overtake them in the standings and be not in the play in tournament. It has the real uh, energy of like why I was at Horse Hoops banned from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt pretty similar. Now, let's talk about the final bit of news here that I think we'll just talk about briefly. And I think we could talk about it longer and more extended, perhaps with the tipping pitches guys, since they know quite a bit about labor stuff and there might be more details to come out. But recently, the NBPA, so the National Basketball Players Association, and whatever the owners association is, they came together and agreed on a new CBA, collective bargaining agreement, that is making sure that there's not going to be any stoppage of play. There's not going to be any lockout. I think it's for the next six to seven years. There is looking like there will be labor peace and there's some new terms and right. some things have changed. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that change seem not necessarily like they're going to benefit the players. It seems like things that the owners would like, but at least we are avoiding a situation where there's going to be fewer games or a lockout or anything like that. So that is nice. But we do have a new CBA. Yeah. So we'll share the article to this, but it's a tentative agreement for a new seven year collective bargaining agreement kind of the major uh, elements of this one involves um, kind of curbing the spending of the highest spending teams. So um, this impacts the luxury tax. And basically, uh, the league will be implementing a second salary cap apron, fun word, uh, $17.5 million over the tax line. And those teams will lose this as uh, several key team building mechanisms, including the taxpayer mid-level exemption, utilizing cash and trades, moving first round picks and drafts that are seven years away. That's an interesting one. Um, blah, 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 blah. Basically, what this means is that some of the higher end teams in this new collective bargaining agreement would not be able to sign some of the additional players that they added. So some examples of this, uh, Golden State would not have been able to add Dante DiVincenzo. Um, Milwaukee couldn't have added Joe Ingles. Boston couldn't have added Danilo Gallinari. So there are a lot of examples of these, but basically it involves spending limitations for teams that are like, if not the highest spending teams up there. Um, the, the most interesting thing that I thought about this new CBA was that there's been a lot of talk about load management, meaning when players, particularly star players, sit out some of the games to rest in advance of the playoffs. Um, and in an attempt to curb load management and lost games among star players, the NBA is tying eligibility for postseason awards, such as all NBA teams and MVP, to a mandatory 65 games played. The 65 game minimum does come with some conditions. They don't mention what those are. So I'll be interested to know what that is. So what that means is that there are 82 games in a season. If you do not play 65 or more, you would not be eligible to be voted on for the MVP or first team all NBA. Now that's a little tricky because like, let's say Damian Lillard twists his ankle and he misses three weeks and then he averages 35 points, but he only played 64 games. Like then is that fair to not consider that person for MVP? But like anything that's new, um, I'm sure there will be some adjustments that need to be made. But I think in general, I like the idea of something like that, right? Yeah, the idea is nice. It's unfortunate that the true way to get rid of load management is to reduce the number of games in a season. Yeah. The number that people have talked about is I think if you reduce it from 82 to 73 and keep the schedule at the current length that it is, you would never have anyone playing a back-to-back -back game, uh. so two games on consecutive nights. And that is most often when people, or at least stars, will take a night off for load management. So that's something people have talked about. The other thing that I just don't understand, why don't you just make the season longer? Like, right. We play indoors. I like make preseason a little shorter or make it yeah. a little longer. Like, I guess you want the offseason to be a certain length. But like, I don't know if it just takes reducing the season by nine games to make no back to backs happen. Like, why not just make the season like two weeks long? We already have. Like but I guess that's the point, right? Like the NBA yeah. always used to start around Halloween. Now it starts um, like mid-October. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough because in my opinion, the playoffs are just, they're too long. Like two full months of playoffs is ridiculous. So right. do we want a season that starts in mid-October and ends like at the end of July? That just seems like too much. I mean, I want yeah, that sure, to sure, stop, sure, sure, so sure, I'm sure. down. Yeah. But yeah, it, what sucks is that I think the answers that make the most sense will never happen because of, as we talked about earlier in this episode, America being a capitalist hellscape, is that the yeah. answers that usually solve these things are fewer games. The first round of the playoffs used to be only best of five series instead of best of seven. That would probably help a lot. Right. Or just reduce the number of games in a season. But that stuff's never going to happen. The weird First round thing should be best the, of five. It's silly that it's best of it seven. It totally yeah. should be. Right. The thing with the minimum games played 
is that it's just, I don't know, you gave a perfect example there. It's just 65 out of 82, like, it's still a lot. If someone's just a couple of games from missing it, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to, like, look at the average number and, like, have it fluctuate. Or honestly, it could be tied to minutes instead of number of games played. That could be something instead. But what will probably happen is something that every now and then happens and is really fun. Sometimes you'll see players have contracts with certain incentives, especially if you're an injury-prone player. You might sign a contract that's like, yeah, we'll pay you $10 million, but if you play 75 games this year, we'll pay you $11 million. And you'll see things like that happen. There was an instance a couple years ago, I'll see if I can find the tweet for it, but there was an instance where Drew Holiday was one game away from hitting a games played minimum with like three games left in the season. So the Bucks had him play at the very beginning of the game. He did the opening tip off and then he immediately fouled the first person who caught the ball and then ran to the locker room and then basically, you know, changed and went to medical treatment and went home. Right, right. <laughs> and he made like $500,000 by doing that. It was just the best way to make yeah. half a mil is just show up, foul a dude and leave. It's pretty good in terms of uh, hourly rate. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. My favorite badass example of that happening in a different sport, baseball reference, baseball has in fact <laughs> begun. Um, I was actually at... Pride night last night at the Brooklyn Nets Minnesota Timberwolves yeah. game, which was really cool. But CC Sabathia was there, a former Yankees pitcher. The funny thing is, A Rod was sitting next to him, and they didn't even show A Rod's name on the screen. I don't know if it's because people hate A Rod or because A Rod is now buying the Minnesota Timberwolves, which we also didn't cover. Uh, right. But either well, way, yeah, he, I, he's already like kind of owned them for yeah, a couple of years. He was like minority, but controlling right, power. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it is they can't show him as a celebrity because he's an owner. That feels yeah, like some sort be. of thing, especially yeah. for the opposing team. But yeah, CC Sabathia famously in his final start of the regular season years ago had to get maybe it was like, you know, six or seven innings pitch to hit a threshold that was going to bump him up like, I don't know, a million dollars. But he yep. hit somebody on the other team in an effort to defend one of the Yankees who had been hit earlier in the game, knowing that he would get ejected because he was just like, I don't care about the money. Like, I'm going to stick up for my teammates. It was a pretty badass I move. was watching that game live and the broadcasters were talking about it. And I think it was like $675,000. Wow. And he knew he was going to get ejected. And I think he only had to... F- pitch one more inning and he threw the ball at the guy knowing he would get ejected talked an enormous amount of trash to the other team as he was actively getting ejected and i'm pretty sure the yankees paid him the money anyway like i think they gave him the money still but yeah they interviewed him after and his comment was basically i don't give a fuck (laughs) amazing 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 all right so good um so real quick let's just run through a couple of the other most interesting parts and then as we mentioned we can do a a bigger deep dive at some point. But this one was really interesting. There may be an in-season tournament that could start as soon as yes, next year. Yes. So this event would include pool play games baked into the regular season schedule starting in November, uh, with eight teams advancing to a single elimination tournament in December. The final four will be held at a neutral site with Las Vegas prominent in the discussions, sources said. This is all from an ESPN article. The interesting thing about it is it says each in-season tournament game would count towards regular season standings. The two finalists would ultimately play an 83rd game that would not count in the regular season. Winning players and coaches will earn additional prize money. It's a cool idea. I just don't know how much people are going to care about it. It really is ultimately just regular season games. Right. It's going to take the form of what the WNBA does with the Commissioner's Cup. And if you follow any sort of Premier League soccer or any of those leagues, it's going to be one of those things where different games count for different things. And I think it would just be like, this is a regular season game, but it also counts towards the David Stern Cup or whatever they end up calling it. So I feel like most people aren't going to really care that much. And even when it actually takes place and they have the final game, the final four or whatever, I can't imagine people caring too much, but the way they're trying to incentivize the players to care is that each player on the winning team gets $500,000 each. Now, if you're a rookie, that's huge. If you're a two-way contract guy, that's more money than your contract sometimes, or at least very close. So like... That might be super intense. And that's actually a perfect transition into the final note that I'm going to add from the new collective bargaining agreement, which is that there will be an increase in two-way contract slots jumping from two to three per team. And what that refers to is players that you have on on a deal that allows them to play in the G League right underneath the NBA, but then they can come up on these 10-day deals. 
And this, I think, is great, right? It's a it's a route for more guys to get into the league. And we've seen all these success stories, right? So some of the people they mentioned here, Austin Reeves, who's been great for the Lakers, Alex Caruso, who's on the Bulls. Then, of course, we've got the famous Jose Alvarado on the Pelicans, Max Struess with the Heat. There have been a lot of success stories over the past few years. So there's just a ton of talent now, and this gives more people the chance to uh, to come up and prove themselves. So I think that is really cool. But let's end it there. We've got more to cover. But I think that uh, completes Full Court Press. Get it like the news, does it not? It does complete it. We will pause. You'll hear some ads now. Some of those ads will be by us. Some of them won't be. They're locally inserted, so it might be based on your location. But once those are complete, we will hear Adam's That Actually Happened and then my three-on-three. So today I present That Actually Happened, Caitlin Clark Has Arrived. As I've mentioned before, my knowledge of women's basketball was frankly very limited before joining Horse three years ago. And honestly, I give you a lot of the credit for not only teaching me about women's basketball, me kind of learning through osmosis, listening to you talk about it, but also for making me want to care about it because of how passionate you are. That being said, my increased knowledge has thus far really only extended to the WNBA because I just don't follow college sports in general. It's never been an interest of mine. But over the course of the past month, like a lot of people all over the globe, I found myself glued to the TV during the NCAA women's tournament. And let's be honest, if I told you a few years ago that in 2023, Iowa women's basketball would be must-see TV, would you have believed me? I would not have. If you said some other schools, maybe like UConn or Notre Dame or Rice even, but no, not Iowa. I don't know the history of their program, but I didn't think they were like a powerhouse. No, and, and historically they have not been. The ESPN broadcast, though, of Iowa versus Louisville, an Elite Eight matchup, so not even Final Four yet, had more viewers than any NBA telecast on ESPN this year. Let that sink in for a second. Incredible stuff. 2.49 million people tuned in for that game. And if you polled those 2.49 million viewers and asked them why they had tuned in, I would be willing to bet that 90% of them would just say two words, Caitlin Clark. So before we get into exactly who Caitlin Clark is and what makes her so compelling, let me start by saying that Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes lost in the NCAA championship to an outstanding LSU team led by standout Angel Reese. And I was going to discuss this anyway, but we got a question from producer-level patron Lobster Bisquay. Uh, The question says, what is your take on the Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese situation? I personally have no problem with it. I think the hand gestures are part of what makes basketball entertaining and exciting. I see many opinions in favor of one party or against both women. Where do you two fall in this conversation and what insights slash perspectives can you give? So let me give some further context and then I'll pass it over to Mike to get his thoughts. But there's been a lot of discourse over the past week about Reese's conduct at the end of the game, during which she kept making the you can't see me wrestling gesture and pointing at her ring finger, signifying that her team was about to be crowned champions. Now, a lot of people, particularly a lot of white men, uh, were quick to criticize Reese, with noted arrogant moron Keith Olbermann calling her, quote, a fucking idiot before later backtracking, and Barstool president slash human game of flip cup Dave Portnoy calling Reese, uh, quote, a classless piece of shit, really showing their class there, calling a 20-year-old a piece of shit. Now, this whole thing was complicated for several reasons. First of all, Angel Reese is black, Caitlin Clark is white. Caitlin Clark had been applauded for her toughness and trash talking throughout the tournament, including making the exact same hand gesture as Reese doing the the classic she can't guard me thing and even giving an opposing player the Russell Westbrook treatment, refusing to close out on defense to bait her into shooting. Reese, on the other hand, has not received the same grace as Clark. And as we often see in sports, minority athletes are criticized for the very things white players are celebrated for. As an avid baseball fan, I can't begin to tell you the number of times I've seen a white player lauded for his, quote, passion, and then a Latin player or a black player accused of being too flashy or not respecting the game when he shows emotion. Now, honestly, the only thing that seemed a little messed up about the way Reese taunted Clark was the fact that she followed her around the court, like seemingly trying to antagonize her. But in the immortal words of Cat Williams, (laughs) Clark talks trash. Reese was talking trash. It's part of the game. And ultimately, this whole thing falls into the category of something we see a lot in modern society, a bunch of people getting offended on behalf of someone who wasn't offended. Like in an interview with ESPN's Jeremy Schapp, Caitlin Clark was asked if she minded the trash talk. Clark responded, quote, I don't think Angel should be criticized at all. No matter what way it goes, she should never be criticized for what she did. I compete. She competed. She went on to say, quote, we're all competitive. We all show emotions in a different way. 
Angel is a tremendous, tremendous player. I have nothing but respect for her. I love her game, end quote. Clark has one year left at Iowa, and Reese has at least another year left at LSU, and I, for one, cannot wait for the rematch. Uh, what were your thoughts on the whole situation? I, I would assume they more or less echo mine, but I am curious to hear what you think. Yeah, for sure. And again, someone who is becoming more and more the voice of reason on these things, Shannon Sharp had a great take on it, and we'll put a link to his passionate I won't, I don't want to say rank because he was correct. I would just say like his thoughts were exactly correct. Just, you know, we have a white player do something and everyone thinks, ah, oh, this is so cool. And then a black player does it and people go, oh, that's disrespectful. And it's just a double standard that exists in America. And it only gets worse when it's women instead of men. Right. And it was awful. It was so stupid. I was very much in favor of Angel Reese doing it because, yeah, Caitlin Clark was talking trash the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. So when Angel Reese started doing it, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I was so on board with it, so much so that when I first saw it, I didn't see all the negative backlash. I just saw people praising it. Maybe I'm following the right people on Twitter. Yeah. But then eventually seeing all the backlash, I wasn't surprised, but it was just so disappointing. Yeah. Now, Angel Reese absolutely balled out. I think the only thing that could maybe be seen as unfair is that Angel Reese won Outstanding Player of the Year and Caitlin Clark didn't. I think King Clark probably had a better season, but Angel Reese had a better tournament. Right. And it's supposed to be for the whole year, but I think you can have a recency bias type thing and you want to give it towards the person who was on the team that won it all. But yeah, I mean... Caitlin Clark talked mad trash. And if you're going to get absolutely destroyed in the championship game, like they were down by like 35 at one point or something, right. uh, you're going to get trash talked to. And yeah. I'm glad that Caitlin Clark has the right approach to it. It's disappointing that all these straight white men are upset about it for no good reason. They're just probably sexist and racist at the same time. Right. And also, yeah, without being informed, like Keith Olbermann said that about her, I think being a fucking idiot is what he said. And then part of his backtracking was like, oh, I don't really follow the sport. Like, I didn't know the context. I was like, then don't comment. Right. Don't say like, anything. Like, you, you're, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. Now, literally while we were recording, I saw something on my phone that that blows all of this away because it's so funny. So after the game, Jill Biden, uh, obviously the the first lady, was, was oh. attending the game. And for whatever reason, oh. I guess she was impressed by Caitlin Clark, whatever, whatever, whatever. The team that wins the national championship gets to go to the White House. And for whatever reason, Dr. Jill Biden uh, suggested that, you know, we should have both teams come to the White House. They both did such a good job. Uh. Like, it's just not the precedent. It's not appropriate. And yes, Caitlin Clark and Iowa had a great tournament. But like, the runner-up does not go to the White House. It's just never been a thing. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a quote from Angel Reese, (laughs) who is apparently not accepting Jill Biden's apology. And the quote says, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't accept the apology. We'll go to the Obamas. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I got to say, Angel Reese has been speaking about this very well. Her postgame press conference was very passionate and she was standing her ground, you know, not just saying it's because she's a black woman in America, but specifically just how she acts. And she says she's not going to apologize for how she is. And it's refreshing to see. And hopefully people can realize that, you know, You don't have to fit a particular mold, blah, blah, blah. The double standard is awful, and I'm glad that she is pushing against it and pushing against crap like that from Jill Biden. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about Caitlin Clark. Now, the comparison you've probably all heard the most is that she is the female Steph Curry, and honestly, it checks out. Like, what makes Steph so special is that he takes shots that for almost anyone else would be bad shots, but he makes them so frequently that they become a genuinely good option. Clark is the same way. She will routinely pull up from five to 10 feet behind the three-point line and splash in threes like it's nothing. The even more impressive part is that by now, everyone knows who she is and she has a huge target on her back, but she still produces. And that to me is the sign of a great player. Let me give you some quick stats from Clark's record-breaking tournament. Clark set the single tournament scoring record with 191 points, a staggering total that is the most points any player has ever scored in men's or women's college basketball. The previous records were Glenn Rice's 184 points in 1989 and Cheryl Swoops's 177 back in 1993, both long before Clark was even born. But Clark isn't just a scorer. She also set the women's single tournament assist record with 60 assists, falling just one shy of the overall record of 61 set by Mark Wade in 1987, the same year that local legend Adam Mamawala was born. Let's go. Clark's game of the tournament was the aforementioned matchup versus the Haley Van Lith-led Louisville Cardinals that garnered almost 2.5 million viewers and sent Iowa to the Final Four. In that game, Clark became the first player in NCAA history to drop a 40-point triple-double, ending the contest with 41 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds. Absolutely outrageous. 
Clark immediately followed up that game with a 41.8 assist, six rebound game versus the defending champion South Carolina Gamecocks. Shout out to uh, Diana Tarazi and Sue Bird who have fun with the Gamecocks. Becoming the first player in women's college basketball history to drop back-to-back 40-point games. Now, while in the final, Clark and her Hawkeye teammates came up short against a very, very impressive LSU team. Clark still put up 30 points, 8 assists, and 2 rebounds despite dealing with foul trouble all game, including one particularly controversial moment in which she was called for a bullshit technical foul, which in college also counts as a personal foul, which I always forget about watching college sports. I won't really get into it, but on both sides, the NCAA women's final was a very poorly officiated game and absolutely needs to be cleaned up. Like, I understand that there's a lot of pressure on refs in big moments the same way there's pressure on players, but my God, do some of these people have thin skin. Uh, It's real, like, small-town cop energy with officials a lot of the time, (laughs) just, like, offended at anything that vaguely questions their authority, and it's just not what people are watching the game for. But... In any case, here are some other quick stats on Clark's outrageous tournament. She became the first woman in NCAA history to record 1,000 points and 300 assists in a season. So that includes not just the uh, the tournament, but the whole season. Uh, in the championship game, Clark drained eight threes, breaking the previous record of six. Overall, Clark's 32 three-pointers during the tournament shattered the previous record of 24. In the process of dispatching reigning champion South Carolina, who had won 42 consecutive games before falling to Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes, Clark scored or assisted on all 18 of Iowa's fourth quarter points. Uh, Side note, why do college men play halves? Can we all just play quarters? I don't get that. I don't get it either. It's weird. But finally, looking at Clark's career as a whole, in honor of recently retired Sue Bird, who actually stopped by a Hawkeyes practice during the tournament, Here is today's edition of This Person's Accomplishments Barely Fit on the screen in their Wikipedia page. Here we go. The winner of the FIBA Under-19 World Cup MVP in 2021, Iowa Miss Basketball 2020, McDonald's All-American 2020, Academic All-American of the Year 2023, two-time NCAA uh, assist leader, two-time NCAA scoring leader, two-time Big Ten tournament MOP. What's MOP? Mop? Most outstanding player. Ah, most outstanding player, of course. Uh, or just great with the mop. You great know, mop. I, I've mm-hmm. mopped great before. Mop. It's not easy. So credit where it's due. <laughs> Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Three-time first team, all Big Ten, uh, uh, 2021 to 2023. Two-time Big Ten Player of the Year. WBCA Co-Freshman of the Year. USBWA National Co-Freshman of the Year. Two-time Nancy Lieberman Award. Three-time Don Saley Award. Three-time uh, Coaches All-American. Uh, th- we have three-time first team All-American. Two-times first team All-American from a bunch of different press outlets. Uh, two-time unanimous first team all-american uh the national player of the year in 2023 usbwa national player of the year the naismith college basketball player of the year uh, also 2023 ap player of the year and john wooden award all in 2023 oh and by the way she just turned 21 earlier this year on january 22nd which also happens to be deborah mamawala's birthday i mean two greats born on the same day that's, you love that's to see the true it. it's true it's true and hakeem olajuwon i believe but I close by saying that Caitlin Clark actually happened, and she's still actually happening, and I can't wait to see what happens once she gets into the league. Um, Same with Angel Reese, same with Haley Van Lith. Women's basketball has literally never been stronger, and it it is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be good. When they get into the W, it's going to be very fun. Imagine if uh, they become rivals on separate teams, or, oh, what if they became teammates? It could be fun. It could be fun. (laughs) Story writes itself. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. My three on three is inspired by a team that we talked about in Full Court Press, and we've been talking about a little bit throughout the season, and they got to get some love. The Beam team is here. The Sacramento Kings have arrived. They are securely in the playoffs. They are the three seed right now, which no one would have predicted. People at best thought that they might make it through the play-in or something like that. Right. Nobody could have predicted this, but they have broken a 16-season-long playoff drought, which at the time that it took place was the longest. Previously in baseball, in all of sports, it was held by the Mariners. They broke it last year. The Kings have broken it this year. Now it has fallen to football and hockey, where the Buffalo Sabres and the New York Jets are both at 11-season-long playoff droughts. So the Kings have passed the buck over to them. So inspired by them, my 3 and 3 is going to be discussing the three longest playoff droughts that then got snapped and the three longest streaks of making the playoffs that then got snapped. So I think we start with the sad 
glad and then we can end with the glad <laughs> i think that's perfect i actually the most surprising thing about the kings especially given the light the beam thing is that they actually have a better road record than they do home record which i never would have guessed wow that is yeah. wild that is wild. Yeah. wild so let's start with the third longest playoff season streak that got broken that belongs to the utah jazz they made the playoffs for 20 consecutive seasons from 1984 to 2003 i looked into all of these teams to basically try to see what was the reason that they didn't make the playoffs it was pretty simple for the jazz in this case john stockton and carl malone who are both great at basketball but now both terrible human beings they both retired after that season mm -hmm. so the jazz got way worse and they basically i think each had 21 season long careers so basically they made the playoffs yeah, when they were on the team and then when they weren't on the team anymore, so basically they didn't do particularly well. However, Andre Karolinka was on the team who still has the greatest and only legitimate initial number nickname that has ever existed. He was a Russian player. His nickname was AK-47. His initials were AK. His number was 47. It was perfect. No one should be able to do it anymore. We now have things like Paul George is PG-13, and I want to vomit anytime anyone says it. It's the worst. Yeah. Uh, also, I am of the opinion that Andre Kirlenko should be the only AK-47 allowed in the United States. Where do you stand on that? Would love that. I would love that. Yes, please, please. And give me that one-star review, someone who's for some reason still listening to this podcast thinking that we would not be anti-guns. Let's get into the number two longest streak. That was for the Portland Trailblazers. They had a streak of 21 seasons where they made the playoffs from 1983 to 2003. So it was the same sort of distance or it had the same ending but they started it one season prior to the jazz who we just discussed basically the blazers in that time in the early 2000s had a couple of runs of disappointing playoff performances so they decided that they were going to rebuild they traded away legends like bonzi wells and rasheed wallace and theo ratliff but much like andre karolinko almost willing the jazz into the playoffs because the jazz ended up being the ninth seed that year just one game out zach randolph almost willed the blazers into the playoffs they were 41 and 41 and they were in 10th place just two games out so a lot of interesting similarities between those two teams for the streaks now, the longest streak was 22 seasons held by the San Antonio Spurs. This streak lasted from 1998 until 2019. 1998 is famously when they got Tim Duncan after very much tanking so that they could get Tim Duncan right. after they had a key injury happen to David Robinson and they got him and then they were very, very good. What basically sparked the 2019 situation was in 2018, a player who's very good at basketball named Kawhi Leonard requested to be traded and he was traded to the Toronto Raptors. The Spurs still made the playoffs that year, though. They made the playoffs with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge and everybody else, but they just barely snuck in. They were the seventh seed that year. The next year, they did not end up making it. And it was a whole new look Spurs. Tony Parker at that time wasn't on the team anymore. Manu Ginobili had retired. Kawhi was on another team. And it was also the weird COVID-shortened bubble season. They were invited to the bubble, but they didn't make it out of the seeding games to make it into the playoffs. They were 11th overall, and it broke their streak. But, you know, good things are going to come to an end. But 22 seasons, absolutely ridiculous. Now, let's get into the situation where we have a little more fun, where teams get to overcome the sadness. So the third longest drought that got snapped was by the Minnesota Timberwolves in 2019. They missed the playoffs from 2005 through 2017, but then they made the playoffs in 2018. And this was the very fun winner go home game. Do you remember this where the Timberwolves were playing the Nuggets on the last game of the season and the two of them were basically tied for the last spot and whoever won made the last spot and whoever lost was kicked out. It was just like oh, scheduling wow. joy and beauty. And it was a truly win or go home game. Mm, I don't remember it. I feel like I feel like now all I can picture is Pat Beverly taking his jersey off last year. Right. It was not that game, but it had that sort of energy. This was when Jimmy Butler was still on oh, wow. the Timberwolves. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, this is when Jimmy Butler was on the team. He actually had knee surgery that season and he had just come back. This is his third game back from knee surgery. Of course, the Timberwolves won all three of those games. And of course, because this was a winner-go-home game, Tom Thibodeau, who was the coach at the time, who is infamous for playing players lots of minutes, 
before the game, he said that the Timberwolves might extend Butler's minutes guideline if needed. Basically, when players come back from injury, usually they'll say, oh, don't play more than 20 minutes or 30 minutes. He played Jimmy Butler 42 minutes in this final game, which did go into overtime. So that could explain the longer minutes. But of course, I feel like Jimmy Butler also was in the same boat here. And it was a thrilling game. I remember watching this game. It was super intense because of the stakes. And I wonder if this game is what led to the play-in tournament happening because it was just so cool and so exciting that I bet this was a major factor. It was basically the play-in before the play-in happened, and it was such a fun end to the season. And I also think because of time zones, it was like the last game. It was really cool. It was super fun. And then the Timberwolves got to break the streak, so there was cool stuff on top of it as well. Cool. So now for the number two longest drought that got broken ended up being a truly wild story. So this was the Los Angeles Clippers who hadn't made the playoffs for 15 seasons and they ended up breaking it in 1992. They hadn't made it from 1977 until they broke it in 1992. They had a weird season where they won their first five of their seven games. Then they lost six straight. Then they won eight in a row. Then they dropped to 21 and 24. They fired their coach. They had an interim coach for two games who went one and one. Then they had the all-star break. Then Larry Brown was the coach of the Spurs. But before the all-star break, he had resigned. And then the Clippers hired him. And then they ended up winning 23 out of their final 35 games to make the playoffs. So just like a weird roller coaster of a season. Yeah, very streaky year. Super streaky. But then it got even weirder because if 1992 in Los Angeles rings any bells. That was the year when all of the Rodney King riots were happening. Mm. So there was a police brutality situation where four police officers got off scot-free, even though they certainly, certainly went over and above and just needlessly, needlessly used so much excessive force on Rodney King. Just a terrible, terrible situation. That ended up having Los Angeles just be in riots for days upon days once that ruling came out and where the Clippers played, which was called Sports Arena. Apparently, it's called like Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena or something. But when they had this in the article that I'll put a link to because it really goes in depth about everything, I was very confused that they kept calling it Sports Arena. Like they didn't have the naming rights to whatever the (laughs) arena actually was. But no, it was Sports Arena. That's very funny. So Sports Arena was located right in one of the neighborhoods where a lot of riots were going down. And this is when the playoffs were going on. So game four ended up being postponed and the league was trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to play it somewhere else? Do we play it in Las Vegas? So they were trying to figure out what that they could do. And the Utah Jazz, who they were playing, suggested, oh, you could play at our stadium. Yeah. Uh, and, and they offered to give the revenue to the Clippers. But like having extra home games, that would be a huge advantage. So obviously the Clippers didn't want to do that. The Clippers had to find a new arena because basically Los Angeles was in a dusk to dawn curfew. So you couldn't have any sort of nighttime playoff games. So the Clippers had to end up practicing in a local high school. The Utah Jazz had to do the same. And then what they ended up doing is having the game in the Anaheim Convention Center, which I've actually been to for VidCon in the mid-2010s. So they played there. Though the issue with that is that it only had 7,400 seats. And at the time, 11,000 people had tickets to this game because they had bought their tickets before ahead of time, you know, and it was going to be at a bigger arena. So they had to figure out what they were doing there. Now, the Anaheim Convention Center had history with basketball. The Anaheim Amigos used to play there in the American Basketball Association. So I think maybe when I did that whole thing about the CBA, maybe I talked about it briefly. I don't know if they're the Anaheim Amigos. This article just said the Amigos. But the Amigos used to play there in the 1960s. And then they got relocated to, of all places, Utah. So just weird dots connecting all abound. So they had to make it so that people who had tickets could still go to the game. So the NBA made them set up a situation where there were other viewing rooms in the convention center, not in the main thing. So you could like sit in a conference room and watch the game, even though you paid tickets. And because of this weird situation, they set up all these seats and set up the court and everything. They did all of it. 
but the seating was first come first serve and there was no ticketed seating. So people got there way early and lined up and then rushed in and like literally ran in order to find their seats. And then no one left to go pee because if you left to go to the bathroom, people would steal your seat. Whose idea was it? <laughs> When you reschedule a game to a new venue because of rioting to try to create a situation <laughs> that could lead to a riot. I think it was just so quick and it was so rushed that they couldn't do things. And it was also the early 90s where they couldn't like implement assigned seatings and digital tickets and all that sort of thing. Like it was just so complex. But Jeez. you're right. It just made an absolute mess. There was even an electrical failure in the first quarter, which caused the officials to have to use handheld air horns like bing, 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 instead of the buzzer. They just sound like every <laughs> DJ on Hot 97. Right. But they, you know, they set the tone. Who knew this would become a trend? The Clippers ended up winning this wild game, but they lost the series. But just a truly ridiculous ending. Indeed, yeah to a joyous season. Now, we've already alluded to the number one. That is the Sacramento Kings. They had a 16-season-long streak that they snapped. 2007 to now, 2003, they are back in the mix. And Marcos Breton, who is a writer for the Sacramento Bee, had an amazing quote about it. Quote, this city, this region, and this fan base deserve to be happy after 16 straight losing seasons, 16 straight seasons of missing the playoffs, a public fight with the previous owners, multiple threats of a Kings relocation to other cities, breathless campaigns to keep the Kings here, 13 coaching changes and ownership change, multiple horrendous NBA draft picks that flopped, the construction of Golden One Center, and the demolition of the building once called Arco Arena. All that had been missing from this saga were the locusts. Oh, Wow. What a quote. So they also, in this article from the Sacramento Bee, said that the last time the Kings had made the playoffs, the iPhone didn't exist. Twitter wasn't public until two months later. And the current Kings players, De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, and Keegan Murray, were 8, 10, and 5, respectively. Wow. Now, there's something I also heard on an ESPN show. They said that no current player in the NBA in the year 2023, no current player has ever played the Kings in the playoffs. So you think of some of these older players yeah. like LeBron James, those kind of guys, they've never played the Kings <laughs> in the playoffs. Just ridiculous. Yeah, I know LeBron's first game in the NBA was at Sacramento, but it was not the playoff game, mm -hmm. obviously. Exactly. So just a weird phenomenon. Now, the Kings have been just absolutely been celebrating this. They put together a receipts video that we will play where specifically just a lot of talking heads this season didn't believe that the Kings were going to make it. Interestingly enough, it showed like Kendrick Perkins five different times. So it wasn't like a lot of people doubted them. It was just Kendrick Perkins doubted them consistently. And I really don't like his coverage in ESPN. Wait, Kendrick Perkins was wrong about something? No. <sighs> He's so frustrating. I really don't like him. He's a failed attempt at an ESPN Charles Barkley. He's not good. It's very frustrating. But the Kings have their receipts. They have been really living it up as they should. And obviously, the beam mm -hmm. is the reason. The victory beam, as we've talked about this season, they have a big beam now that they shoot up into the sky whenever they win a home game. This beam is powered by six lasers, and it was approved by the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, because as we talked about earlier, when they introduced it, you could see it from space, or at least the people making it said that you could. And now we have the beam and we have what might even be better than the beam is the chant when the Kings are looking like they are about to win a game. The arena just chants, light the beam, light the beam, light the beam. And then after the game is over, someone will come and push a button that is certainly hooked up to the beam. And is not just a symbolic button. And someone will push the button and then light the beam. And I cannot wait to see playoff light the beam. And I can't wait to hear playoff light the beam chants and see playoff beams being lit. It's just going to be so good. Shout out to the Kings. And that is my three on three. Get hyped for the five on five where I talk about the other stuff. But yes, Kings, take your victory lap. You deserve it. Best of luck. Oh, it's just going to be great. Love it. Hey, go Kings. Go Kings. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Kensei Suramaki. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The art is by Alison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Gambamanes. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, K the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Reed, Weird Questions, Angel Reese for three. And it went in this time. Oh! 
Oh, you can't see me taunt. Ring pointing taunt. Ah. <laughs> Hi, Trish. Ginger Spurs boy Nicole Arsenal. Something mean about the Knicks. Stubby Boardman gets paid. Chase Underulo. Mr. Bubbles plays ball. And Bunny's not a rabbit? Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops. The person who ran that account actually ran the account for the Spurs, and that's secretly why their really long streak got broken. So then, you know, all their Twitter accounts just had to get shut down. Pop called in some favors, got them shut down. Oh, I see. I thought at Horse Hoops might have been talking shit about Angel Reese, and they shouldn't have been. They should not have been. It's a poor decision. Don't do it. Go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to a lot of the fun stuff we talked about today, including some of the Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese uh, drama in the championship game, some Light the Beam content, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the Horse Boys, you can do so at Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops, get access to bonus content, bonus audio, videos. We've done a whole lot of extra stuff when the playoffs come around, so I could see us doing more of that. So now's the best time to join the Patreon. We put up things just for all patrons when it's playoff time, so join now. You can also get merch if you go to horsehoops.com slash merch. You can get sup nerds shirts. You can get digital stuff like our past live streams. I still got to work to get the one that we did recently are a poem-based one up there, Ooh. but I'll work towards getting that up so you can get access to that as well. We're going to close out this episode by doing what we always do, which is putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. I think with both of our teams in the mix, I think we just got to say go Bulls, go Knicks on three. All right. So I guess we say our own teams. I, I can't expect oh. you to say, you know, let's... No, look, I'm rooting for the Bulls. I want you to get through the in the plan. So right, I will we'll be say saying go, go Bulls, go, go, Knicks. go Knicks. Let's do it. All right. Let's see. One, one two, two, three. Go, go Bulls, Bulls, go Knicks! Knicks. Oh, it'll be fun. Imagine if we find a way to play each other. Huh? It would have to be in like the conference championship probably. And it seems unlikely, I'll take it. but you never <laughs> Nay, I'll no, take it though. I'll take it. <laughs> there would be some blood in the garden, I dare say. Ooh. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.